Hi, I'm Kristen Hodgden, an IVF mom, current IVF patient, and co-founder of Rescripted. And I'm Dr. Ali Domar, a 34-year fertility industry veteran, psychologist, and expert in the mind-body relationship between stress and infertility. Welcome to Dear Infertility, the first ever podcast that doubles as an advice column for those dealing with the daily stressors related to infertility and pregnancy loss. We're here to answer your real life questions related to the mental and emotional toll of infertility while providing research-backed tactics and strategies for overcoming these dilemmas. Now let's dive in and help you find calm on this stressful journey. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen, and I'm here with Dr. Ali Domar. Hi, Ali. Hey, Kristen, how are you? I'm okay. Thank you for asking. So I'm really excited about today's topic because I think it's not talked about nearly enough and that's third-party reproduction. So donor egg, donor sperm, surrogacy, maybe we can even dabble into adoption a little bit, but you know, I think it's so hard for women and men, couples experiencing infertility to sort of wrap their head around these options when, when they're presented to them or forced to consider them. So yeah, I kind of wanted to just jump right in and ask you how you approach this typically with your patients. You know, it's a hard time. I mean, it's not like someone uses birth control. I'm sorry, stop. Someone stops using birth control for a month. The woman gets her period and they go, Oh, goody. Now we get to do egg or sperm donation. And I, one of my patients who, you know, I've mentioned in a previous podcast that in the, in the 10 week in-person mind body program, on the seventh session, we have someone come in and talk about egg donation and someone come in and talk about adoption. And I remember in the adoption, actually, they were a couple. And I remember them saying, and they had a really tough road. They had, I think, seven years of infertility and like five, five IVF cycles, and, and it just wasn't working. And they ended up adopting. When someone said, well, how do you feel about adoption? And I remember the wife said, it was not our first choice, but it's not second best. Absolutely. I love that. And I thought, you know, and I've, you know... Obviously, since egg donation has sort of taken off in the last 30 years, you know, I would say I now counsel far fewer people who are pursuing adoption, although I actually have two patients right now who are pursuing adoption. So I've actually gotten them together so they talk to each other. But I'd say most people that I see who have sort of hit the at the end of treatment with their own eggs are moving on to donor egg. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of sperm donation, that tends to be discovered a lot earlier during the initial workup. And so, you know, if someone has a, has such a severe male factor that IVF with ICSI isn't going to an option for them, then, you know, I often don't see them because that often even comes up in the gynecologist's office. So I certainly have a ton more experience counseling people who are making the decision to move on to donor egg or adoption or, or surrogacy. I have a lot of patients doing gestational surrogacy. Yeah. So I think a lot of, of women who are told that donor egg might be their best option. It's hard not to feel grief over the fact that your child won't be biologically related to you. Mm -hmm. What are your recommendations for kind of coping with those feelings? Well, I would stop and say, in fact, the child is biologically related to you because you are gestating the pregnancy. The child may not be genetically related to you. And so, you know, the first thing I say to, if I've seen a couple or even just the woman, not just the woman, if I'm seeing the woman or the couple, I'll say, if you actually think about it, pregnancy is kind of unfair because in a typical pregnancy, the woman has a genetic connection because it's her egg 
and a biological connection because she just, you know, the baby develops in her uterus and the male partner only has a genetic connection. So with donor egg, he has a genetic connection and she's a biological connection. So it's not like she's giving up. And there's this whole new, there's this whole new field of epigenetics, which is looking at the probability of the woman's body sort of turning genes on and off in the baby. And they, the, some of the animal research is, is incredible how the female's body can change the genes on and off to make that baby more like mom. And I, I you know, knock on wood, I have never had a patient go through donor egg say, I wish I hadn't done this Absolutely. because it, it, it can be such an extraordinary experience if the woman is ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And what you don't want to see, and it has happened, what you don't want to see, it's never happened to any of my patients, but it happens out there is someone who, you know, goes through treatment, you know, either, you know, student and IVF cycle, which gets canceled because she's just not responding to the meds or she's not producing normal eggs or whatever else. And the physician says, look, I just cannot sort of ethically recommend another IVF cycle for you. I think you need to consider donor egg. And she's like, fine, I'll do it. And a month or two later, she does a donor egg cycle and gets pregnant and realizes she wasn't ready. And, you know, you have the same fear with adoption or donor sperm or anything else is that, you know, being told you are not going to have a genetic child is excruciating. Yeah. And, you know, there's not much I can say other than it's a, it's a big shock. No one feels good. I mean, you know, I actually, that's not true. I've had patients, for example, with both parents who are alcoholics, you know, and my patient has a huge concern about passing that gene on. And so in fact, being told she had to move on to donor egg was somewhat of a relief because she realized she wasn't going to pass on the increased risk of alcoholism to her child, or if somebody has some genetic condition that they can't screen out for, there is a relief of using donor egg or donor sperm. Mm -hmm. But in general, if one has done treatment that has not been successful and one is told, you know, donor egg is your next step, it hurts, but it's not going to hurt forever. It hurts at the beginning. It's like, it's sort of like when someone breaks up with you, Mm -hmm. you feel awful. And then a few weeks later, you feel a little bit better and then you feel a little bit better. And then all of a sudden you think, you know, I, I could date again. And so I think that's the process is that, you know, I sometimes do screenings of individuals or couples who want to move on to donor egg. And, you know, if, if they've done an IVF cycle a month ago, there is no way that I'm going to feel comfortable. They have to mourn and or she specifically has to mourn and grieve that there's a good chance that her baby is not going to have her dad's nose or her mother's eyes or whatever else. I mean, I think now with epigenetics, we are seeing a lot more connection than we ever thought possible, but you can't assume that or count on that. But I will say that 99% of the patients who are, that I have seen who are considering donor egg that's not true. I'd say 75% move on to do it. I mean, some move on to adoption and some choose to be child-free, but most of them mourn and recover and then get kind of excited. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. Like give yourself the time you need to process it, mm-hmm. do your research, ask the questions, go with an agency or, you know, just make sure the route you're taking makes you feel comfortable right. and then, and then press go. Right. I mean, and, and you got to trust your gut feeling. If you start looking at donor egg profiles and you want to vomit, that's not a good, it means, excuse me, it means you're not ready. But if you start looking at donor egg profiles and you're like, oh my God, I love her. I'm so excited. That's a really good sign. Yeah. 
For sure. So surrogacy, I think there's a similar feeling to, Mm -hmm. to being told that you cannot carry your pregnancy. And would you give similar recommendations for those sort of on the path to surrogacy? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I don't know why I've suddenly had a lot of patients who are doing surrogacy or have been advised to do surrogacy. I don't know if it's just, that's just the luck of the draw of the patients I get, or if more uterine factors are being identified as as causes of infertility or pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's really hard. I talked to a patient yesterday who actually carried her first child and has been told she cannot carry again for medical reasons. And, you know, that's going to be a number of conversations that we're going to have to have. You know, I have a cousin who had to do surrogacy and I spent a ton of time talking to her about it. And literally because my cousin lives overseas, I was the one that, that basically had daily conversations with a surrogate during the pregnancy because my cousin found it too painful to talk to her every day about how she was feeling and it, and it was twins and how the babies are moving and things like that. And so at some level, just like with donor egg, you're, I don't want to say sacrificing, but you're not having the genetic link to your child or children with surrogacy. You're not having that pregnancy link. Mm-hmm. And again, one has to mourn that because a lot of women are like, oh, you know, I can't wait to buy maternity clothes and I can't wait to breastfeed. And, and, you know, and I want, I can't wait for people to tell me how fat I look. I mean, not <laughs> women don't want that. Infertility patients want that. And so it's, it's a loss and, you know, it's also staggeringly expensive. So, you know, I, I talk people through it all the time and, and, and that's where, you know, either you need to aggressively save, or that's when you need to go to people who have resources because, you know, I have a, the brother of one of my best friends just did a donor egg surrogacy cycle and he saved for years and years and years to come up with the money that he needed to do it. So it's, it's expensive and that, that's, it's, it's way more expensive than just doing donor eggs. So I think that's something people have to factor in, but there's also an excitement when, you know, there's a pregnancy with a surrogate and, you know, ideally you live close by so that you can go to the OB appointments and everything else. But people have very mixed feelings. I had one patient a few years ago who actually now has two children by a surrogacy. And with the first one, she was jealous. She was really envious that the surrogate was pregnant with her baby and that the surrogate got to have that experience. And I had to spend a lot of time with her saying, you know, it's, it's not the surrogate's fault that she's able to carry a pregnancy and you're not, you know, she's, she's doing an enormously amazing thing for you. And I even had to sort of push my patient into like doing nice things for her, like buying her gifts and, and just, you know, bringing her fun food and things like that. And it was a completely different experience with the second one, because, you know, at that point she realized, you know, once the baby's put in your arms, I mean, it, it is genetically your baby and then yeah. you are a mom and you're treated like a mom by everybody. So I, I think for both of them, it's the getting to the pregnancy point, which often may be the hardest. Mm-hmm. And for some people, the pregnancy for surrogacy, the pregnancy itself can be, can be challenging, but there is also an excitement. Like there's a baby, you get to see an ultrasound and things like that. So it gets better. And then when there's a baby, it gets way better. So I'm curious do you ever have patients who are sort of at a crossroads and they don't know which avenue to pursue? I mean, I've heard a lot of times it's just a gut feeling like I really want to experience pregnancy. So I'm going to do donor eggs over adoption because I really want to have that connection or, you know, they don't want to pursue donor eggs and, and they decide that adoption is the best route or, they, you know, really want a biological child. So surrogacy is something that they're willing to save up for. Like, mm-hmm. how do they sort of, how do you sort of counsel them through those, like making that choice? 
It, honestly, I've had very few patients who didn't know. I mean, for example, I mean, with, it, surrogacy isn't really a choice. I mean, I guess it could be surrogacy or adoption. That, that would be the choice. But for a lot of people, it's, it's donor egg versus adoption. Mm-hmm. And I think people often have just this gut feeling. Yeah. Like I need to be pregnant. And like, I, you know, this is something I, I need to be after infertility. I need to be treated like another, you know, pregnant lady and I want to breastfeed. And that's really important to me. And I have other patients that say, I, it, I don't want to have a baby that my husband's sperm and another person's egg made. And that just feels really yucky to me. And I don't want to do it. So I think there's a, there's a real gut feeling. Yeah. I think that the, the challenge comes in when the two partners of a couple don't agree. Okay, yeah. And, you know, men tend to be very pro donor egg because mm-hmm. it's still their sperm. And for them, it feels like a, a no brainer. Like it's, it's his sperm and she's gestating the pregnancy though. So they know that she'll be super careful and take her vitamins and eat well. And that sounds way better than adoption. And women might feel like, no, that feels kind of unfair that he is a genetic link and I don't. And so that's when I come in with, well, but you have a biological link. And, you know, with epigenetics, there might be more of a genetic link than you might think. And and that's a tough one. And I remember I saw a couple, and this is probably 15 years ago, and I've been seeing her for a while. And she was dead set against donor eggs. She wanted to do adoption. I think someone in her family was adopted. And I mean, she was like super pro-adoption. And her husband was just as pro-donor egg. And he just couldn't understand why she wouldn't see the fact that it was his sperm and she could be pregnant. And it took us a year of counseling with me counseling this couple. And finally, we reached a compromise that she agreed to do one donor egg cycle. And if it didn't work, he agreed to do adoption. Okay. So they, which I thought, I think all three of us felt that was a comfortable compromise. So they did a donor egg cycle. She got pregnant, had a baby. And, you know, I have never in my life, no matter how a kid came apart, seen a kid look that much like their mother. Like people, she said, <laughs> stop them on the street. I've heard that because, so often in the community yeah. from donor egg moms. Yeah. It's, I mean, but I, she sends me Christmas cards every year and it's like, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure they chose a donor that looked like her, but it's still crazy how much this little <laughs> girl looks like her mom. That's and awesome. she, she left me a voicemail, which I kept on my work phone until our offices moved after about 10 days after the baby was born. And she said, if I had known how amazing this would feel, I would have done this five years ago. She goes, I have never been this happy in my life. I've heard that so often too. It's like, you know, once your baby's in your arms is sort of doesn't matter how they got there or who they're biologically linked to. Or (laughs) I mean, I've seen donor patients that as soon as they see the embryo, the picture of the blastocyst, they're like, that's my baby. I'm like, that's a very good sign. Yeah, absolutely. But people need to be ready because what you don't want is for someone to rush into donor egg, donor sperm, donor embryo, surrogacy, before they're ready and then realize they're pregnant and regret that decision. So you need counseling. I mean, people need to, you know, go to the ASRM website and look under mental health professional group and talk to somebody who has an expertise in this to get them to the point where they make the right decision for themselves and their families. Absolutely. So we did this in the beginning of the podcast and and then kind of scrapped it for the last couple of episodes because admittedly I forgot. <laughs> I wanted to ask you to wrap up my, you know, our company name is Rescripted. How would you sort of rescript the way people understand the donor 
Oh, sorry, third-party reproduction process. Well, I, I think that patient of mine years ago, you know, to re-script the idea that, yeah, no one chooses to have to go third-party. I mean, again, unless there's some genetic base, but in general, people don't choose to have to do third-party, but it's not second-best. I love that. Let's, let's end right there. And thank you, Ellie, as always. Until next time, everyone, thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Dear Infertility. We hope it helps you find calm during this incredibly stressful time. Whatever you're currently struggling with, Rescripted is here to hold your hand every step of the way. If you liked today's episode and want to stay up to date on our podcast, don't forget to click subscribe. To find this episode, show notes, resources, and more, head to rescripted.com and be sure to join our free fertility support community while you're there.